it's Chris Campbell of the Food Institute, and welcome back to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we have Caroline Jones of Jersey Mike's on the show. She's going to be talking about how this Jersey-born sub shop has grown to have locations in all 50 states. We're also going to take a look at the charitable component that really enriches their connection to the communities they serve. But before we get started, I did want to take a moment to bring up the FI Newscast. If you haven't seen it yet, it's our new news program available on YouTube and on LinkedIn every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. On the show, we take a look at the top trending news and have industry guests that can really give you a better idea of what's happening inside the food continuum. And as a bonus, it is hosted by the Food Institute's own Susan Choi, so make sure you subscribe on your platform of choice. So with that out of the way, Caroline, I was hoping you could introduce yourself and get us started on the episode by giving us a little bit about your history. Sure. Um, my name is Caroline Jones, formerly Caroline Cancro. Um, my father, Peter Cancro, is the founder and CEO of Jersey Mike Subs. So I've grown up with oil and vinegar in my veins, as we would say. Um, worked throughout many facets of the company. At 14, started at the original store with my uncle and um, moved into the office environment shortly after college. Um, it's been a very fun experience working with family. Um, if you need any fun stories, I have them. And it's, it's been a journey and a, and a privilege to be a part of growing. You know, every new franchisee to us is a new extension of our family. So it's really been an honor to be a part of that journey. Yeah, and I think we could talk a little bit about that journey, and probably the best place to start is the early days of Jersey Mike's, and I know you said that you started at the original location, so mm -hmm. where was that location? When did it first open? Can you give us a little bit about the history from that location, you know, probably up until the franchise era? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so 1956, the original Mike's Subs opened in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. My father was the fourth owner, and he purchased it in 1975. And he was only 17 years old. So I was actually talking to his older brother, John, and he was telling me an interesting story. Um, he said that he was in college at the time and was home for the weekend. And his mom said, you know, Mike's is for sale. Like, maybe you should buy it. It's like, no, I want to be an accountant. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do, make subs for the rest of my life. And he walked up the stairs and he saw my dad sitting in the hallway with a pad of paper and a pen. And he was like, you know, he looked at him and, and my dad said, you know, I think, I think I want to buy Mike's. And my uncle said, I think you should. And he, he, he joked and he goes, I think he asked me for money. And I think I gave him 20 bucks. Uh, Cause you know, the whole point that he needed to raise capital to purchase the original store. And he tells, my father tells an interesting story about how he knocked on every door at age 17, trying to raise $125,000 at the time to purchase the store. And he, his youth football coach was a banker and he met with uh, Rod Smith at the time and they were able to work out an agreement and he loaned him the money. So it was really um, amazing what he was able to accomplish at that age. I don't think he was legally allowed to operate a slicer in the state of New Jersey at the time, but he did. And he purchased the store. Um, he married my mom, I think around 1980. And they didn't franchise until 1987. So that was the year I actually was born. And shortly before he decided to franchise, they did a short stint in Dallas, Texas, which I don't think many people know that he went there to do commercial real estate, tried to different, tried to do something different, still own the original store, um, lived away for about a year, then moved back to New Jersey and then said, you know what, I'm going to take a stab at this and, and try to franchise. 
so there, you know, there's definitely different pieces to the journey, a lot of failures before successes, but um, the astounding work ethic of my father is something to be admired. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, it's definitely a different way to raise capital than a lot of the things we see here on the yes, podcast, yes. right? Um, definitely, you know, a little bit more boots to the ground, but it's definitely, you know, an interesting story. Part of the reason why I was drawn to it is just, you know, those Jersey roots. But I would like to talk a little bit more about the franchising aspect. So we know in 1987, you said they started opening up the franchise model for the rest of the country. I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about that story? You know, how many stores have you opened since 1987 with this franchise model? So we're close to 2,500 stores. We're opening in our 50th state, Alaska, this year. So we'll be in all 50 states. Um, you know, initially it was friends of friends. Uh, my mom's family is from Tennessee that we opened some stores down there. Um, the Raleigh market was one of our earlier markets. It, it started off obviously very slow. Um, and then over the years, um, we've seen the rapid growth since, you know, maybe the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I think we could talk a little bit more recent, you know, how many stores do you plan to open in 2023? I know you said you have 2,500 now. How many are you aiming to open up this year? So last year we opened just over 300 and we're looking at that 300 mark again for uh, 2023. It's a pretty incredible growth and congratulations on the 50 states part. You know, I think that's, you know, monumental victory for most food service operations being able to say, you know, we're in every single U.S. state. I think part of this is probably, you know, some of the store retrofits. We talked a little bit beforehand about this. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, program you did there between 2019 and 2021, rehabilitating some of the stores to make them a little bit more modernized? Yeah, so it actually started, you know, a couple of years before that. Um, we met with an organization called Tesser at the time that helped us with the whole re-imaging um, program. And when we came up with a look together that we loved, we started opening new stores that way. That's how it starts. And then, you know, internal conversations going, you know, we really want to retrofit our existing stores. How are we going to do that fast? Typically, this takes, you know, at least seven to ten years for a system to, to retrofit. And we decided the best way to do that was to, to make the investment ourselves. So we, as a company, put in $175 million to retrofit all of our existing stores. And we were able to finish it in that really quick timeline from 2019 to 2021. So hats off to our construction team because they managed a lot of GCs across the country and did a tremendous job while also opening you know, the 250 to 300 stores each year. I think one of the things we talked about too with the retrofits was the addition of like a second slicing line, a second production area. Is that mm -hmm. something that you see in most of these franchises? So when we were looking at, I think it was around 2018, we're going to tweak our stores. We're going to tweak the, you know, the tile and the countertop and all of those um, visual things. But operationally, what do we need? We need digital was before the pandemic. I want to say less than 10% of our sales. And, but we saw it upticking. So we wanted to factor that in. And the most important part of our brand is interacting with the customer. We never want to lose that. So we added a second line. It's typically right behind the existing line. So we call it the line behind the line. And that's where um, a lot of our stores will make those online orders when the store is busy during the lunch rush, lunch rush so that they have um, the ability to have those authentic conversations with the customers. And it's and the way that we focus on this is through so much training. I mean, our training department, day in and day out, is it's the key focus of our brand is always always training, because if you think about individuals that started working in the store during the pandemic, they had masks on, there was plastic up between the counter and the customer, 
they didn't learn to interact with people right away. So it's a key focus on what we're doing today. And, and a lot of brands that you see out there that re-engaging with the individuals that are coming into your store. Yeah. And as a Jersey boy, I definitely understand the appeal of the New Jersey deli. It's definitely a cultural phenomenon here. I'm not sure about the rest of the country, but you know, I think we could talk a little bit more about how important it is for the in-store prep slicing, et cetera, right. for the model. Can you talk a little bit about how important that is to the Jersey Mike's ethos? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what they did in Mike's subs back in the day. It's, it's just a true authentic deli. We have the meat case, the slicer, and you, your, your subs are made to order. They're, they're grilled to order. And it's important that they're made fresh so that when you get the product, it is fresh or else it, it, you know, would have a different flavor profile if it had sat there for quite some time. And regarding supply chain, you know, what kind of, you know, suppliers are you working with? Are they mostly local? Do you have like a national model? How does that work out in maintaining, you know, the freshness? I know when it comes to a sandwich, a big part of it is produce and that's not always, you know, the easiest thing to source. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that too. Well, it's, it's really about um, our prep with our onions, lettuce, and tomato. It's kind of the first thing we look at when we go into a store. Do you have red, ripe, and ready tomatoes? Meaning, did you sort them? Are they Were they ripe when you sliced them? And you know, we slice our onions and lettuce fresh every morning. And so all of those things are core ingredients to our product. So yes, it's something that um, our provisions teams works um, with companies nationally and locally. There, it just depends on on where your store is of, of um, where, where you'll source um, those produce agreements and all, produce items and also what time of year it is. You know, when we're in New Jersey, they can't be grown locally here because it's the middle of winter. Uh, so we also just our, our provisions team has worked nonstop, especially during the pandemic and just making sure that our stores had the items that they needed and working with secondary and, and third suppliers to make sure that we have the redundancies and there's no um, shortages that the stores are seeing. I was going to say this Jersey winter, you might be able to actually grow some tomatoes locally. But oh, I know. Understand the point overall. Um, <laughs> I know we talked a little bit about the pandemic aspect here, how you saw digital orders kind of growing a little bit beforehand. I'm sure, you know, it was kind of in flux. I'm wondering in the current day, are you still finding that growth in digital orders? So our digital orders um, were way up during the pandemic and they've leveled out around 40% of our sales. So 60% are still ordering in person and in store. And then a lot of that, um, we launched our app right um, before the pandemic, and it was it was really key to our success of being able to have our customers order and pick up themselves. That's a, a lot of our um, digital sales is a lot of I'm placing the order and it's just a takeout order, but it's seamless. You remember your last order, you hit order again, and it just it makes it makes the, the the process of getting lunch or dinner much simpler. And are you seeing people stay in the stores? Are they picking them up when they order in store? I'm seeing, you know, across the industry, we're seeing, you know, a lot of food service outlets are finding, you know, people are coming back and ordering products, but they're bringing it home to eat. And that might be a pandemic reverberation. Are you seeing people return to the shops to eat for their lunch break? Are you seeing them go, you know, bring that food home? Is it like all over the place? What are you seeing there? Um, Yeah, they definitely are returning. We're a portable item, so it's fine if, you know, we've always been traditionally, um, you know, item you take to the beach, the lake, uh, wherever you're going for the day. So that's always been ingrained in our brand. But I mean, you have a high school that lets out for lunch and the store is packed. So it just depends on on the clientele and how, how busy they are if they're able to sit down and enjoy it in the store. So one of the things the Food Institute we've noticed is this refreshed interest in the sandwich and subcategory. And I was wondering if you have, you know, considering you basically grew up in the business, you have a lot of experience here. Do you have any idea why that might be? 
I'm, um, I would say, you know, really thinking about this question, our, you know, with, within our brand and our growth and more our awareness and being closer to someone's home, just that in itself is can lead to the growth with the you know, convenience, right? And then also um, national awareness and advertising and those those questions, have you ever heard of a brand and, and the, that percentage upticking within food uh, sandwich categories across the country? So I think awareness is a huge piece of it. And then also being able to, once they try the product, then you get people that become fans right away. And then they incorporate it into their daily, weekly or monthly routine. And it's definitely interesting to see the M&A appetite in the category. Recently, Subway said that it was exploring a sale. I know restaurant brands, I believe, purchased um, Firehouse Subs. I think Inspire mm -hmm. Brands picked up Jimmy John's recently. So we saw like an explosion of sub concepts. And now we're starting to see some, you know, acquisitions, you know, putting themselves up for sale. In your mind, where do you see Jersey Mike's fitting into that new landscape? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, as the landscape is really going to just change for those individuals that are changing their leadership, what we're going to continue to do is what we've always been doing. And, you know, just, you know, make, make great subs. And also, you know, our, within our culture is, you know, giving, making a difference in someone's life. So I think it's important to just keep doing what you're doing and, and it, it's great to have competition during lunch because it, it, it brings up your people to do want to make the best sandwich that they can. And I think you just mentioned a little bit of the charitable aspect there, and I'd like mm -hmm. to dive into that a little bit. I know when we first spoke, you said, you know, it was a core tenet of the Jersey Mike's philosophy was this charitable giving. So I was hoping you can discuss this a little bit and maybe we can even take a look at, you know, the first week at a New Jersey Mike's location almost as a case study to kind of showcase how this works. Sure. So this is always something that um, Peter has been involved in since his early days at uh, Mike's Subs before he even became Jersey Mike's, is just getting involved in the local community. And that was really key to franchising from the beginning because if you just have another Jersey Mike's opening in your town, what does that mean to your town? It's important that the owner, the manager, the crew members get involved in the community. And that, you know, that brings in young people want to work there and it brings in customers want to eat there. So how to create that environment culture is to get involved and how that starts is by partnering with local charities from day one. So every new store that opens, they do a five day fundraiser for a local charity, whether it's the local school parent teacher organization, a local nonprofit, a local children's hospital, whatever they feel was a good fit for their community, they, they select that charity partner. And how it works is typically we'll do a free sub donation cards, five to 10,000 that we give out and with a two or $3 donation from the customer that comes in. So you get that free sub if you donate to this local charity. And it's been something that's, we haven't deviated from since as long as I can remember. And it's, it's been very, very great way to introduce yourself to the community and also get that product trial out there. Um, while the crew's training and it's, it, it creates fun buzz around the store opening that we, we love. And also those lasting charitable par partnerships. We have people that are still partnering with the same charity they have from day one. I was going to and mention how, that. I think, I think really when you take a look at that customer trial aspect, it just seems like such an ingenious way to invigorate a community, you know, obviously generate goodwill, but also get that consumer trial product, <laughs> you know, right. It just seems like it hits on a lot of cylinders, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of, it really 
it hits on all those cylinders, but then it keeps going. So when there's something that happens in the country, say a terrible natural disaster, the local stores are rallying to feed first responders. You see the emails come through and everyone in the pictures and they're the area director that oversees the stores is heavily involved and they're, they're making sure that, that other stores are driving to different stores that don't have power at their homes to give people crew. It's just, it's really, really inspiring to see how well franchisees work together in areas, especially when something happens. And just, it's just, we, we find we attract like-minded individuals into our brand because they're looking for something that's going to make a difference in their lives, a difference in their family's lives and a difference in the people that they, that work for them. And it's, it's pretty inspiring. So our month of giving that's about to happen in, in March, that's we've had since 2011, really was inspired by a franchisee. So if you don't mind, if I kind of dive into that, I'd love to tell you that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had a franchisee area director, Dalton Stewart, in Dallas, Texas. He was partnering with the local nonprofit at the time, Wipeout Kids Cancer. And they were doing a free sub day and a free sub with a donation, just like how we do for our grand openings. And when Peter heard about it, he said, I want to take this nationally. Let's do local nonprofits across the country. Let's see what franchisees are interested. And there was an overwhelming positive response. They wanted to do it. So we started off with that free sub day. And after doing it a couple of years that way, we realized we need to change this model. There's lines out the door. And we're not raising as much money as we want to. You know, when you donate a dollar or $2 for a sub, it doesn't add up as much as 100% of sales, which is what we do now. So it evolved to 50% of sales and then franchisees say we want to do more. So ultimately we have this crazy idea of doing 100% of sales uh, the last Wednesday um, of March. This year it'll be March 29th. We call it our day of giving. We are partnering with over 200 local charities to um, basically, so how that works is stores located in, say, in the Los Angeles greater area will pick one charity to partner with, and then stores in Dallas will pick one charity to partner with. So it, the, the funds are going back within their market that they're raised, that the customers live in. And it's a really exciting day for us. It's a co- internal competition big time in terms of volume and sales, who has the highest um bread count, which is um, number of giant loaves of bread sold per day and number of, of customer donations raised throughout the month. It's a, it's a huge internal competition and it creates so much excitement and pride in the individuals that work for these franchisees and the, um, the difference that these franchisees make within their communities. Uh, last year, we raised over $20 million, which is way exceeded our expectations. Our customers have come to support us in ways that we never imagined that they would. And it's, it's really a really exciting month for us. Yeah. And it's definitely good timing to be able to get the word out about that And the links uh, in the description of this episode, we'll definitely share some more regarding their month of giving over at Jersey Mike's. I would like to switch the conversation a little bit. You know, we sure. talked about the charitable aspect. We did talk about supply chain a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we talked about on the pre-call was the impact of HPAI. Obviously we're seeing, you know, highly pathogenic avian influenza impacting mm-hmm. egg prices and chicken prices. One thing that's not really getting brought up in the news though is Turkey. And I know that Jersey Mike's utilizes this as an ingredient on a ton of sandwiches. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about how this is impacting your operations and maybe how you're seeing this uh, from Mm -hmm. your vantage point. So this is something that we've been dealing with for the past year. 
um, uh, where there's a, you know potential turkey shortages um, within the industry due to that the virus, and that's really where uh, multiple suppliers come into uh, play. That you know we're we're able to be guaranteed a certain certain number amount of turkeys in certain regions, and our provisions team is excellent um, with working with Cisco that delivers our products to the store and making sure that the shortages aren't seen at the store level. Has it impacted pricing in any dramatic way for you guys? Um, not nothing that um, we we've seen the pricing really really uptick in the industry, and we're very cognizant of that, and we try to try to stay you know within within reason for our customers as best that we can. And I'm going to switch gears one more time here, and I have to ask. I know you did an excellent you know advertising campaign with Danny DeVito. Did you get to meet him? How's the reaction been to launching this new national advertising campaign? Oh, Danny's been great. So I personally have not met him. My father has worked with him um, on the two shootings that we did. At We actually closed a couple stores when we did the commercial. So they're shot in actual Jersey Mike's locations in California. And they had a lot of fun. He is, I've heard nothing but good things, an excellent person to work with strong work ethic, very funny, very good at improving. Um, he's been a great fit. He's actually from New Jersey. He's from Asbury Park, um, which is 20 minutes from Point Pleasant. So it's been a fun um, fun time working with him. And we love the shots. We have all the crew members in the, in, the, in the shots. They're the ones slicing, and they get that experience. So that it's, it's been fun. Yeah, and I have to say, they do make me laugh every time I watch them. You know, most of the people I've talked to feel the exact same way, so it seems yeah. like a win there. We got a new set coming out, so they're, they're, I think they're even funnier. All right, awesome. I'll definitely keep my eyes out for that. All right, so I really appreciate you spending some time today kind of teaching us about the Jersey Mike's way, you know, learning a little bit more about your franchise system and also really taking a look at, you know, the subcategory in general and why Jersey Mike seems to be succeeding so well. I'm just wondering if anyone in our audience would like to learn a little bit more about Jersey Mike's, where should they go? I think they should go to jerseymikes.com or download our app. Um, it's it's all right in there, everything that they need to know. All right, perfect. Thank you again for spending some time on the Food Institute podcast. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. And that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Definitely want to thank Jersey Mike's and Caroline for coming on the show today. Make sure you subscribe, like on all of your channels of choice, and don't forget about the FI newscast 12 p.m. Eastern on Fridays on LinkedIn and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell, signing off.